1983 episode, a full-on trade war breaks out between the Pies and the Tigers. St Kilda creates headlines after Silvio Faschini takes the league to court. The Saints use this to their own advantage, and round four against the Cats is a memorable game. The Tigers tumble down the ladder, but KB eyes the record books. Hafey's at another club, and the Dogs are on the way up. And finally, the Pies spend, spend, spend. How will their season turn out? All this and more coming up after our song. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say Welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast, the Australian Rules Football History podcast that takes a deep dive into the history of the VFL. We have no real qualifications to bring you this show other than a thirst for knowledge, a desire to relive the past, and lots and lots of books, Charlie. Uh, My name's Tim. Again, that's Charlie. Yes, it is. Hi, Um, Timmy. Good afternoon. 1983. Yes. Can you believe we're here already? Uh, I think we say that every episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's moving, it moves quicker than the years do. So it does. Yeah. We're just ploughing ahead. Um, so 1983, we're talking about the bottom seven teams. Yeah. Now, let's get to some history before we do. Songs of the Year, Charlie. Some absolute bangers. Total Eclipse of the Heart. Oh. Flashdance, oh, what a feeling. And one of my favourites that was out that year, Red Gum, I was only 19. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right, let's Total Eclipse of the Heart, may, yeah. So good. Yeah, I mean, Red Gum Australian, but the rest are overseas, but still yep. bangers. So let's get to some news. Alrighty, well, I'm very excited to talk, tell you about 1983, Timmy. There's a big bit of news in here that I've been looking forward to talking about for a couple of years. Really? See if you can pick the thing that I'm, I'm looking forward to. So let's start with uh, January 30th, where we had the Super Bowl for 1982 being played. We had the Washington Redskins, yep. no longer called that, uh, defeating the Miami Dolphins 27-17 to to win their very first Super Bowl. Uh, on the 3rd of Feb, we had the Prime Minister of Australia, Malcolm Fraser, was granted double dissolution of both houses for elections on the 5th of March. As he was being granted the dissolution, Bill Hayden resigned as leader of the ALP and Bob Hawke was elected as his uh, successor unopposed. On the 16th of Feb, Ash Wednesday bushfires in Victoria and South Australia, um, still one of Australia's worst bushfires bushfire disasters and then on the 5th of March we had that federal election where the Labor Party led by Bob Hawke uh, stormed home and defeated Malcolm Fraser he was sworn in on the 11th of March Fraser resigned from the leadership and uh, was replaced by Andrew Peacock on the 11th of May we had Aberdeen FC beating Real Madrid 2-1 to win the Euro Cup Um, becoming only the third Scottish side to win a Euro trophy, something that you can't even imagine happening anymore. Back when teams were actually maybe far more even. On the 17th of May in the NHL, we had the New York Islanders defeating the Edmonton Oilers 4-0 to win the final series Stanley Cup for the fourth consecutive season. In May, we had the... Philadelphia 76ers defeating the LA Lakers four games to zero in the NBA final. 
uh, Moses Malone was named the MVP of the series. On the 25th of June, we had India winning the Cricket World Cup, defeating the West Indies by 43 runs. On the 25th of September, the Parramatta Eels defeated the Ma minor premiers Manly Warringah Sea Eagles 18-6 to win the 76th NSWRL Premiership. On the 26th of September. This is it, isn't it? This is it. I can it. see by the twinkle in your eye. The Australian yacht, Australia 2, wins the America's Cup. The first successful challenge to the New York Yacht Club's 132-year defence of the trophy. Huge. And on that very same day, Prime Minister Bob Hawke went on the Today Show and declared the, the, a public holiday for the day, stating that any boss who sacks anyone for not turning up today is a bum. Oh, that just makes me so happy. What just a time to be alive. Uh, I was. I know, I wasn't yet. Damn it. Uh, I remember it like it was a long time ago. I don't remember it. That jacket that he wore. Remember the oh, white, yes. The white jacket yes. with the flags. Oh, it was huge. Uh, on the 1st of November, we had Kiwi winning the Melbourne Cup. On the 9th of December, we had the Australian dollar floated by... Uh, the Labor Party and Federal Treasurer, Treasurer Paul Keating. Um, so the Reserve Bank bought and sold all Australian dollars and cleared the market at, at the end of the, end, of the, end of the day. And last bit of news here, on the 15th of December, we had the legendary Australian band Cold Chisel playing its farewell show at the brand new Sydney Entertainment Centre after more than a decade together. Yeah, I'll be back. <laughs> yeah, always uh, so, want to hear about some Australians who were born? Yes. This year, 30th of January, Ella Hooper, singer-songwriter. I'm older than all these people. You are. That might get a bit depressing yeah, soon, maybe. actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 15th of February, Alan Didak. Uh, 4th of Feb, Jared White. 6th of February, Jamie Wincup, the racing driver. On the 12th of April, we had Elena Dokic, the tennis player. 20th of April, Miranda Kerr. Uh, 25th of April, Jonathan Thurston, the rugby league footballer. Uh, 16th of May, Daniel Kerr, the footballer. No relation, I'm pretty sure. No. <laughs> 18th of June, we had Cameron Smith and Billy Slater, both rugby league superstars. On the same day? Yeah. How, how many games did they play together? That's yes, incredible. so many, right? Um, on the 11th of August, we had Chris Hemsworth, the eldest of the Hemsworth brothers. Yeah. 8th of September, Chris Judd. Uh, I mean, what, what needs to be said? 4th of December, Jimmy Bartell. And 5th of December, Cooper Cronk. So in the same year, all three of those guys who played a lot of games at the Storm together. Yeah. Pretty unbelievable. Yeah. So, 1983. Some league news first. Because it's football season And that's the reason It's the time of the year that we love um, so actually, I want to back up a little bit first. Yeah, okay. So let's go to uh, the October draft from the year before. Oh, yes. We said we were going to talk about this, didn't we? Yeah, so again, we had the state draft. So the BFL clubs could pick two players each from the draft. Number one, um, Pickett went to the Dogs and they took East Fremantle's Andrew Purser. And did he end up playing for them? Because um, <laughs> this is the, uh, did. the interesting thing, isn't it? Um. Just get to it quickly. Yeah, so he played 112 games with them. Nice. Um, pick two went to Alan, was Alan Sidebottom to the Saints, and he played 55 games with them. 
Uh, Gary Shaw went to Collingwood. Some other players of note are Peter Motley being tied to Sydney. We know he didn't go there. Um, we've got David Grant going to St Kilda where he played quite a lot of football. Brad Hardy went to Geelong. He didn't play any games there. Greg Anderson, a Bombers legend, went, got drafted by Sydney. Um, and that's about it. I mean, uh, there is, of course, other players who went there. Yes. Uh, but they're the players that stood out to us. Yeah, nice. Um, the other thing we forgot to talk about last season was the Commonwealth Games exhibition football match. Oh, yeah. Uh, which took place shortly after the grand final between the grand final teams. So Richmond played Carlton on October the 6th in an exhibition game at the Gabba. It was a high-scoring game. Richmond got revenge on Carlton. Final scores 28-16, 184 to Carlton, 26-10, 166. Oh. It's a real bruise-free football there. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That must be hard. Must be hard for the Tigers to to bear, right? Like it's only 11 days later as well. Yeah. Just you can win it, but not when it counts. Yes. Um, there's some because they beat them twice, didn't they? In that year. Yes. They beat them in the semi-final to yep. qualify. Um, so, yeah, so, so Rhett Bartlett's actually found some footage of this game recently as well. So if you want to go watch some highlights from the 1982 Commonwealth Games exhibition, you can find that online. Nice. Um, some other news. In 1983, John Elliott and Elders IXL look at buying the Swans. John Elliott, of course, being future Carlton president. Yes. They would need to pay out $1.6 million in debt and buy out 1,800 members at $40 a piece. Um, the plan was dropped, but not the last we'll hear of John Elliott. No, certainly not. Um, February 5th, Alan Aylett suggests moving clubs interstate to alleviate their financial problems after reported speculation that Footscray or Collingwood could move to Brisbane. Collingwood? As if Collingwood would move to Brisbane. Yeah. Um, in April, Mayish McKinsey report was the McKinsey report was commissioned. That's that's sorry. That's really interesting. That was a club I never thought had been spoken about in terms of like merging and it was like Carlton Collingwood. I didn't think they would ever were ever spoken about. Yeah, well, the eighties in the same everything way. Was, everything was everyone, up on the everyone, table. Yeah, everyone was in dire straits, especially once we get into the Collingwood Richmond um, trade war as well. Lots of money being thrown around. Yeah. Um, in April, May, the McKinsey report was commissioned, and this report finds many issues with the league decision-making process. Um, we also have the Crawford report saying that the Swans were dangerously close to extinction. That was released in May. Uh, and in 1980, in October 4, the VFL set up Task Force Mandic. Don't ask me what that is, but they set it up. They certainly did, and geez, weren't they ready for it? Mm. Mm, maybe. Maybe. Let's go up the ladder then, Charlie. Let us do it. How exciting. So, 1983 season starting off with a bang. Uh, and in 12th spot, right down the bottom, taking out the wooden spoon, is St Kilda. With yeah. five wins, 17 losses, and a percentage of 78.6. Uh, coached by Tony Jewell and captained by Trevor Barker. Yeah, so I was just going to go out Jewell in. Yes. Um, debutants include Greg Lane, Rod Owen, Daryl Cunningham. They got Alan Sidebottom in the draft. They paid $85,000 for. They swapped Doug Cox for Essendon's Max Crow, And they also um, got Mark Jackson, Jacko Jackson from Melbourne, mm. transferred to Melbourne from Melbourne to St Kilda for just $40,000. I think they're quite happy to get rid yeah. of him. Yeah. But by far the biggest name debuting this year, I would say, is one Tony Lockett. Uh, who's he again, Timothy? Kicked a few goals. Ah, okay. So a forward. Yes. All right. No, Plugger, of course, considered one of the greatest full forwards 
and players in the game's history. Uh, hailed from Ballarat and was massively built at 191 centimetres and 104 kilos. Another big silo coming in <laughs> <laughs> for the Saints. Um, he played at full forward. He was both an awesome on-field presence um, and won many of the game's highest individual honours and is rightfully in the Australian Football Hall of Fame, of course. Absolutely. So we're, um, we're in the era of plugger. Well, I mean, we've we've spoken about Plugger with our thousand goal kicker special, and yeah. there's not many CVs that are quite like his. Are no, there? I mean, missing that elusive premiership. Yes, but almost every other award possible. Yeah. Um, other news at St Kilda: Ian Stewart was back as football manager, and within weeks he was the one who announced that Tony Jewell would be the new coach. Uh, before the season started, the Saints were negotiating hard for Swans' want-away pair, Morwood and Silvio Faschini. Faschini, of course, being coached by Ian Stewart at the Swans. That's right, so yeah. There's a connection there. They wanted clearances, but the Swans said no, not really wanting to create a precedent. So Silvio Faschini went to the Supreme Court with that issue, and that was kind of hanging over the club for the first few weeks. Round one saw the debut of a number of new players, including 16-year-old Rod Owen, the most recent 16-year-old to play AFL-VFL. The Saints, however, lost to North Melbourne in this game. Um, early in the season, uh, one of our favourites, Bruce Duperuzel, was playing pretty poorly and he got done to the reserves. Well, actually, he started in the reserves and he was playing poorly in the reserves. So yeah. Ian Stewart kind of suggested, you should retire. Ah. Super Duper promptly asked for a clearance to the dogs and he was traded out. Yep. Yeah. Well, fair enough. He, want, he thought he still had good footy left in him. And they're trying to uh, they're trying to turn the club over and bring in new fa- new blood and fresh fresh players. Round three was a huge loss to the Hawks, uh, which had Tony Jewell saying it was the worst effort by any team he had ever been connected with. Oh God! Now this gets us up to round four. So the day before round four, on April fifteenth, Justice Crockett ruled in regard to the Sylvia Faschini case that there had been a restraint of trade and the VFL rules and regulations involving player movement were invalid. So everything, like, the way they've run everything in history with this was invalid. He yep. basically invalidated Rest- the entire system. Restraint of trade. Yeah. Gee, so... So. Yeah. <laughs> it's a real free-for-all. So, and it was, this is exactly what happens. Um, so Silvio Faschini was, was brought straight into the team, but the Saints also thought, well, what's to stop us now playing Paul Morwood? Yeah. He hasn't, he hasn't been given a clearance. He hasn't... So they wanted, they wanted Paul Morwood. So what they did is they snuck Paul Morwood into the ground. Trevor Barker carried his bag in. The Saints taped up their windows in the rooms with paper so no one could see in. And um, as the teams ran out into the ground, the league bosses were watching on. Aylett and Hamilton were there to watch the match. <laughs> and the second last player out was Paul Morwood, who had, did not have a clearance. People would have lost their minds. Uh, suffice to say that Aylett and Hamilton didn't stay to watch much of the match. They had to prepare for how the league would deal with this issue. Yep. Um, Morewood's attitude being well, I mean, Fashini was able to play. Everything's off the table now, so I can... What are they going to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need a clearance. So, hang on. Just just so I can wrap my head around this. Fashini left... Sydney. Sydney. So, so we'll get to Sydney in a minute, but he didn't want to have to move to Sydney because the rest of the team, the edict was from the league... You have to move this. Yeah, so he was South Melbourne. He's like, I want to stay at the lake. No, <laughs> the none, none, yeah. yeah. But he was like, I don't want to move to Sydney. With I'm a everyone. family. I love my family. I don't want to move away from them. So I want to stay. Yep. Great. And but Sydney were worried about that creating a precedent for yes. other players. Yep. So he took them to court. 
restrained of trade, so he can he's free to play. So St Kilda are like, okay, well we've got him covered. Let's what's see the, what else we stop, can what's do. What's to stop us from playing Morewood now as well? Yeah, yeah. It's just interesting that other clubs weren't doing starting to think the same way. Well, they I'm sure they were. Yeah. Um. So yeah, very interesting game. In this game though, they played the Cats at Waverley, and the Cats won this game convincingly. Um, but it was also the debut of a young lad named Tony Lockett. Hey! So he kicked his first two league goals after coming on from the bench. Um, however, had they beaten Geelong, they potentially would have forfeited the points under the laws of the game at the time. because oh, they played, they played someone, an unregistered player, player, yeah. Who wasn't registered with them, I believe. Yeah. Um, interesting. The next week, guess who the Saints took on? Sydney. The Swans. Of course they did. Um, with the Swans winning, although Wacko Jacko kicked 10 goals. <laughs> um, an amusing side note to this was the Swans refusing to entertain Saints officials pre-match and therefore Lindsay Fox had to settle for meat pies in the outer. Um, having said all this, the Saints lost their first nine games and didn't win their first until round nine against the Tigers by 15 points. Paul Morwood was a star in this. It was soon revealed the Saints had backed themselves with a bookie to win three games in a row and stood to win $70,000. Can you imagine someone do- doing that now? Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, around this time, Mark Jackson, Jacko Jackson, was admitted from the team with Jules saying he didn't fit in with the team plans. Uh, the players should be able to try and kick goals without fear of being abused for not passing it. Yeah. So with Jackson gone, this created the chance for Tony Lockett of course it to did. take the full forward position. Around 15, the Saints travelled to Cardinia Park and despite not scoring in the first quarter, they were able to kick 15 goals to six after quarter time to win by 52. Young Lockett with three of those goals. A week later, Cunningham, Moore, Cunningham and Morewood led them to a 29-point win over the Swans at Moorabbin. Then a week after this, it was Jeff Cunningham again who blitzed the Lions at Junction Oval in an 11-point win. This was the third in the row. I mean, different stage of the season. Let's hope they had money on those three games. Yeah. Um, following this win over the Lions, the crowd swamped them and they were carried from the ground. Their last win of the year was round 20 against the Tigers at Waverley. It was a big win for the Saints, kicking 21 goals, 14, 140, to beat the Tigers by 75 points. Cunningham and Tony Lockett with five goals each. Um, I guess the other thing to note, round 21, the Saints lost to the Dogs after leading by 39 points at half-time, at three-quarter time, um, which led to Tony Jewell labelling the team a bunch of liars. <laughs> and the only other interesting thing to note here is the Saints did not play a game at the MCG all year. That is interesting. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, well, I mean, quite a bit inter- of interesting stuff happening down there, but unfortunately nothing that helped them no. uh, win, win too many games. So uh, even with the beginning of uh, Tony Lockett's career, we had Mark Jacko Jackson being the lead goal kicker with 41. In how many games? In his 10 games. Yeah. Pretty good. Um, Max Crow second, and Silvio Faschini just behind him with 26. So all imports. Plugger kicking 19 in his first season of 12 games. Not bad. Not terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And the Trevor Barker medal in 1983 went to Max Crow. Excellent. So heading up that ladder to 11th spot, and we can talk about it right now because it is the Sydney Swans. They are, and officially Sydney Swans. Officially the Sydney Swans now, with seven wins and 15 losses and a percentage of 77.5. Uh, not much has changed there apart from where they're playing. 
apart from where they're based, mm. coach still by Ricky Quaid, captain still by Barry Round. Yes. Um, debutants include Terry Thripp, Gary Frangelis, Stephen McBroom, Peter Maloney, and one Warwick Kappa. Mm, another one I haven't heard too much about, no. Uh, not in, not not a, strangely, the first word to describe Warwick Kappa in this is flamboyant. Uh, larger than life, both on and off the field. His trademark was his classically spectacular high marking and his extremely tight shorts. Yeah. Uh, his all-round skills were also pretty good, though, with the exception of kicking for goal, which, given that he played for most of his career at full forward, was a bit disquieting. Uh, Kappa began playing for the football for Northvale in Mulgrave and later Oakley District. He was recruited by South Melbourne and played in the under-19s for two years in 80 and 81. I believe, yeah. I think he only played one senior game for Sydney in 83. I think he actually won the best and fairest in the Oakley District League or whatever team yep. that was. Yeah. So there you go. All right. So prior to the season, South Melbourne Football Club, which had played its home games in Sydney in 82, formally relocated operations to Sydney. And during the season, after the VFL agreed to subsidise the club with $900,000, they were renamed the Sydney Swans. Brian Dixon was named club CEO, and there was talk about the club becoming privately owned. Ah, okay. So this is where that begins. Jeez, yes. That's a few years before it actually happened, though, isn't it? Starting to no, get yeah. it in the, in the zeitgeist there. Okay. Uh, in April of that year, the VFL provided a half a million dollar loan for running costs, but it also meant the VFL gained control of the club and appointed a, effectively a watchdog committee, which included six VFL administrators, including Alan Swab. So this is this is more than the four hundred grand they already gave them from the grounds mm-hmm. project, isn't yep. it? Yeah. Yeah. So they're trying to get them into a firmer, firmer financial footing here, but eventually we'll see uh, that private ownership and some squandering of, of, of funds. Um, as we said, many players made the move north. However, there were some who refused, along with Silvio Fashini, Paul and Shane Morwood. Um, and as we said, Fashini took, the, took it to court and, and won. Um, but in round one, in Sydney, courageous half-black flanker Greg Smith kicked a last-minute behind that helped the Swans to a one-point win over the Bombers. The Swans finished with 15 fit players. The Swans deserved the win after running away to a 50-2 lead at the first change. Ricky Quaid said after the game that it was a courageous win and the best he'd had in a long while. Um, but getting back to Brian Dixon, within weeks of him being there, there was disharmony about the management style style he brought to the club. Oh. Um, the club gave him the opportunity to resign, but in the end his services were terminated. Oh, okay. We discussed Fashini and Moore would go into the Saints, so the round match the match in round five had extra spice and there was expectation of mayhem and revenge. Remarkably, there were no incidents and the Swans were able to win by 23 points. Following the win, Ricky Quaid said... We won out on the ground and the lawyers can't take the four points from us. It's a shame football has come to this. Yeah, tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Um, around this time, the Swans gained the services of former Rue and Tiger Daryl Sutton. Round eight, the Swans took control early in their game against the Cats at Cardinia Park, all without star David Rhys-Jones, who was out early after a heavy clash. But with big first and third quarters, the Swans were able to run out 26-point winners. Round nine... When Mark Williams' goal for the Pies in the third quarter, he put them further ahead and it looked like the Pies would fly to victory. But from there, the Swans, full of vigour, ran all over the Pies to win a to record a 21-point win. Barry Round had the SCG rocking with three huge marks in defence in the last quarter as well. Round 11, the, Saints, the Swans trailed until late in the last term against the Dogs at the SCG. It was Daryl Sutton and then Craig Brady 
that saw the Dogs finally relent and allow the Swans to run away with a 19-point win. Um, and underdone David Rhys-Jones was instrumental in the revival as well. SCG in round 15, the Swans swamped the ladder-leading Lions in a brilliant running game, winning by five goals. They took control after halftime with seven goals to four behinds. Uh, Craig Brady and Bernie Evans with four goals each. Round 17 against the Demons at the SCG, the Swans lost Reese Jones early again, but were led to a 13-point victory by new recruit Daryl Sutton, who kicked six goals five in a brilliant exhibition of marking and kicking. Round 19, the SCG hosted the first the, its first Friday night football game because I think a scheduling conflict with an Australian rugby match. The Swans took on the Cats, and although the Swans lost, it was a real taste of where football was heading. As we know now, now know, Charlie, uh, Friday night football is a continuous fixture of, of course. football. Uh, and finally, round 21, um, unfortunately, was a loss to the Bulldogs, but Barry Round played his 300th game in round 21. Very exciting. Uh, so our lead goal kicker at Sydney this year was Craig Braddy with 48. Um, Bernie Evans, Tony Moorwood, Daryl Sutton and Mark Browning just behind him. So, yeah, very much shared around um, up there. And the Bobby Skilton medal in 83 went to Mark Browning. Uh, so taking us up the ladder then to 10th, pla- 10th place where we have Richmond with, again, seven wins and 15 losses, but a slightly better percentage of 88.8. Coached by Francis Burke and captained by Barry Rowlings. Yeah, so um, debutants include Tim Gepp, David Palm, Craig Balm, brother of Neil, Neil, Michael Rolfe, Michael Lockman, Bradley Ross, Jeff Ablett came across from the Hawks as well. But let's let's talk a little bit about the trade wars. Yes. So there was an exodus at Tigerland over summer. Cloak sat down with the Tigers to suggest the club was taking its players for granted. Reigns was angered by the fact he could not command the same sort of money that Maurice Rioli had. Uh, Reigns saying... I felt I'd put my heart and soul into the joint and they weren't giving me due respect. Nothing against Morris, but I'd won three best and fairest and finished runner-up in another one, and I'd heard during the year he was getting a lot more than me. At the end of the year, I just went to the club and said, whatever Morris is getting, I'd like the same. All I said is I want comparable pay. GR came back and offered me a feeble amount. It was an insult, really. Yeah, so David Cloak and Jeff Reigns left for Collingwood. Um, also Brian Wood for Essendon, as well as a plethora of other players. Um, there's also a few issues with the way that David that they that Francis Burke coached the team. Yeah, okay. So they didn't quite like the way he did that. Um, and the previous year's grand final started behind the eight ball with losses in their first five games. Oh god. Round one was an embarrassing loss to Carlton, and selectors reacted swiftly and sternly. But they had four more losses, so it was a really disappointing season to start with. Round six, the Tigers finally broke their drought with a three-goal victory at Waverley over a very strong Hawks outfit. There was a $10,000 bonus attached to this game, but the Tigers were more worried about the four points. Roach took a while to fire, and BT kicked a paltry one goal five, while KB finished the day in hospital with a depressed fracture of the cheekbone. <laughs> Round 10, the Tigers were leaking goals early against the Swans, with the Swans getting an early four-goal lead, but the Tigers' defence, led by Bernie Evans, took control. The Ghost, KB and Greg Strawn helping the Tigers take control. They, won, they ended up winning by two goals. Um... The Tigers were able to avenge their round one loss to Carlton by reversing the results at the MCG in round 12. They led at every change, mostly thanks to Wiley, Roach and Bartlett, and won the game by 50 points. 
In round 15, the Tigers battled the determined Cats side, and after leading by 22 points in the last change, the Cats were outplayed by an urgent Tigers team. Robert Wiley, again a shining star. The Cats could only muster a point in the last quarter, which was also the margin the Tigers won by. In round 16, Morris Rioli helped the Tigers to a 20-point win over the Dismal Bulldogs. Um, they embarrassed the Bombers at Windy Hill to the tune of 74 points. Uh, the Don's worst performance for the season so far. Rioli the star here, while Roach and Dan Foley kicked five goals each. The Tigers' defence held on, held the Dons to six goals for the entire match. Um, but round 19 was probably the highlight for the Tigers this year. It was Kevin Bartlett's 400 B- VFL match. The cheer squad banner was 10 metres high and 20 metres long, Charlie. It had taken 500 hours to make and it cost $400. Well, it had $400 worth of like crepe paper and tape yeah. and stuff. Um, David Norman, the cheer squad leader, had overseen the creation of this. It took 20... Well, it took 29 cheer squad members to hold up the banner because they had needed one for each number on the back. So 29 was KB's number. Yep. So that was a little reference to him. Um, in the lead-up, KB received keys to the city from the Lord Mayor. He also had a telegram from Bob Hawke, PM. Um, after running through and tripping over the banner, KB approached his opponent, Collingwood's Ray Byrne, who took from his sock and presented KB with a toothless comb. <laughs> KB squatted that away. Um, the Pies spoiled the game, however, and won that match. KB, oh, KB how f- dare they? KB finished this match with 16 kicks, no goals, no hand passes. And there was more celebrations that the club led from then on. Around 21, the Tigers beat the Swans in their final Sydney game of the year. The Swans put in a spiritless exhibition to go down by 31 points. The Tigers' defence were excellent, holding the Swans to 1-5 in the first half. The final margin was 41. And round 22, a loss to Fitzroy was KB's 403rd and final match. Massive. Starting like back in the 60s, back when there was decimal currency. Yeah. Before decimal currency. Before, yeah, yeah. And singing now, God Save the Queen. And, all the way through. Yeah. Huge. So our lead goal kicker for Richmond this year was Michael Roach with 37. KB exactly the same as well. So leading top goal kicker. Dual. Dual top goal kicker at Richmond. And the Jack Dyer medal in 1983 went to Morris Rioli for the second year in a row. Yeah. Wise on the big bucks. Oh yeah, Ew, contentious. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that takes us up to ninth spot, where we've got the Cats. Geelong sitting with eight wins and fourteen losses, eighty-seven point nine percent. Captain by Ian Nankervis, back from injury, and coached by Thomas Hafey. Indeed, Tommy Hafey. Yeah. Other debutants include Michael Cole, Nigel Cole, Damien Christensen, uh, Basil Flynn, and the captain in that very famous 1989 grand final, Damien Burke. Yeah. Round one was a positive first up game for Hafey at the Cats. The Cats kicking seven goals in the last quarter to beat the Dogs by 31. Featherby and Blake, the best for the Cats. Round two, they travelled to Victoria Park. Hafey visiting his old team where he was kicked out of six months earlier or yeah. not long ago. The Cats were in command from the first bounce and kept the Pies out of the game with fierce straight kicking and tackling and sheer pace. The Pies came back hard in the last quarter, but the Cats held on to a five-point win. The crowd cheered Hafey as he left the ground after the game. Hafey said about this. I was really moved by it all. People were shouting, good on you, Tommy, and I was a little bit taken aback by it. Yeah, so a nice little gesture by the Collingwood faithful because it didn't end well, but he, he did get them to three grand finals. Absolutely. He turned them around from wooden spooners to, prem, to well, it wasn't, contenders. It wasn't the supporters. It wasn't because of the supporters that he, they got rid of him. No, was that's it? true. Yeah, so it was... 
interesting. Round three, the Cats handed the Tigers their third successive defeat at Cardinia Park, losing by eight goals after the Cats slammed on 6-5 to 1-4 in the final quarter. John Mossop dominated the ruck, while Andrew Buse and Michael Cole were also great. Round four, the Cats took on a surprising new-look Saints at Waverley, and despite Wacko Jacko kicking four, mm-hmm. uh, it was the Cats who were able to assert themselves late to record an 11-point win. Bright, Peak and Turner were all great for the Cats. Uh, round six, the Cats broke their Princess Park hoodoo and the backs of reigning champions Carlton with a fierce display. They trailed by nine at three-quarter time, but chipped away in the last quarter to win by ten points. John Mossop again good. So was Ray Card who shut down the Dominator. Round 11, Michael Cole, Bob Neal and Peter Johnson were on fire for the Cats in another come-from-behind victory, this time over the Hawks. Six goals to two in the last saw them win by seven points. Round 13, in the Cats were too fast and strong for the Pies at Cardinia Park, which was also Tommy Hafey's 400th match as a VFL coach. The Cats were led by Stephen Reynoldson with four goals and Yates with three to win by 16 after five straight losses then, the Cats played the Swans on Friday night at the SCG, the first Friday, the first night match in over 30 years. And they finished this game with a 66-point win. Reed and Burns, the ball magnets in the middle with over 60 possessions between the two of them. Um, however, I believe that was their final win of the year. Yeah, they only won one of their last... One of their last nine games. Yeah. To crash and burn. Killer. Uh, so the lead goal kicker at Geelong this year was Terry Bright with 26 and the Kaji Greaves medal in 83 went to Ray Card. Um, so yeah, bit of a disappointing season from the Cats, wasn't it? Anyway. Definitely because they've been finals in yeah. the last few years. Um, so in eighth spot, same, same position as last year, not much moving, is the Demons. With nine wins and 13 losses, 86.8%. Coached by Ronald Dale Barassi and captained by Robbie Flower. Yeah, debutants include Les Bublett, Russell Richards, David Williams, Glenn Bollard, Trevor Castles and Francesco Wagulo. Yeah, it is. Um... Um, after years of failure, Melbourne found the money for a big pair of recruits to join Ron Barassi's side. Peter Moore came easily from Collingwood, but Kelvin Templeton required a trip to the newly formed VFL Appeals Board to win his clearance from Footscray. Hey. The Demons were believed to have paid $150,000 for his services. Jeez. Uh, both players had issued writs in the Supreme Court to win their freedom, but Collingwood let their player go far easier than, than the Dogs, who fought tooth and nail to retain, retain Templeton after two injury-prone seasons. Um, now, after losing round one against Collingwood, the Demons took on the Tigers, and it was their first victory over the, a competition heavyweight for four long years. Two separate bursts with the wind were the catalyst for the victory. 8-3 to 1-4 in 26 minutes of the second term and 5-1 to nothing in seven minutes of the last. With the Demons out to a 40-point lead in front early in the third term, the Tigers forwards finally clicked and got within six points two minutes into the last term. But seven minutes of brilliance by the Ds wiped out the challenge. The only downside to the day was the controversy over whether a middle finger gesture by Brian Wilson had been directed at Ron Barassi or not. <laughs> Round five in front of a hostile crowd at the game where they, at a ground where they hadn't won since 1972, it looked like another disappointing trip to Geelong for Demons fans. 11 minutes into the second quarter, the home team were 43 points in front and their backline seemed impossible to breach. 
but the game turned when Kelvin Templeton kicked his first at the 14-minute mark. He goaled again before half-time, but looked proppy and still not yet over his injuries. But after half-time, the Demons were full of run. Templeton kicked five in the third quarter, and the visitors were three goals in front at the last change. The final margin was 11 points. This was Templeton's biggest haul since 1979. He kicked eight goals and made him the toast of the Demons. And in the rooms after the match, Alan Johnson sat his team around sat with his arm around the forge yelling, he's arrived, he's arrived. <laughs> it would be Templeton's best performance ever for the Demons. Yeah. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> Great. Um, in round six, Brian Wilson kicked seven goals and a good strong win over the Swans. A week later, the Dees made it three in a row with a 33-point win over the Saints. Wilson again excellent with five goals um, and there was talk of him going back-to-back in the Brownlow. Five straight losses followed. <laughs> the first string... Um, around this time, there was a bit of stirring about discontent over Barassi. Um, that came after their fifth straight lotch when Darren Hinch questioned Richard Seddon, the president, on the suggestion that Barassi would leave at the end of the year. Ah. Seddon replied that Barassi was committed to Melbourne until the job was done. The coach responded to his side's losing streak by doing what the supporters screamed at him to do and played Robbie Flower in position. <laughs> Quite often played him out of position. The captain responded with a magical game, racking up 38 touches, 15 marks and two goals too. He had nine of his, first, his kicks in the first quarter alone, and by quarter time, his side were almost five goals in front and cruising. They beat the, t- the Tigers by 14 points. Um, and Barassi's doing that thing he did with um, Keith Gregg as well, and the same thing that Norm Smith did to him. He, you pick on the, the best player. Yeah, yeah. You demand as much as you can out of them. Um, he's, he's definitely doing that with Robbie Flower again. Yeah. Trying to get the best out of him, but it looks cruel. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But it's... Uh well, it's interesting. Is it working? And well, by that result. Well, I've got, I've, I've been reading Robbie Flowers' biography, and he says that like, despite the criticism that was levelled at him by Barassi, it made him a better player. Well, there you go. Yeah. Round fourteen against the Dogs at the G, the game seesawed for the first half, with neither side getting too far ahead. Barassi moved Peter Giles onto the dangerous dog Gorizitas, and even with Robbie Flower badly beaten, the Dogs got five. The Demons got five of the last seven goals to register a fourteen-point win. Round fifteen. In wet conditions at Princes Park, Alan Johnson played a masterful game on the wing against the, the defending premiers. Not only only was Alan Johnson dominant, but Kelvin Templeton was consistently beating his opponents up forward. The final margin was 39 points. Who did they beat, Charlie? That's the question. Isn't that it? is always the question. Uh, in that meet, in that match, they beat Carlton, the reigning premiers, by 39 points. Uh, round 16 on a day when luminaries of both Geelong and Collingwood. Round 16 on a day where luminaries of both Melbourne and Geelong were presented to celebrate the 125th anniversary of the code, the two sides served up a game that was less than classic. Mm. Having forked out $112,000 at the gate, the fans vented their feelings with an unparalleled stunning chorus of booing <laughs> five min- minutes into the third term when the hapless Alan Johnson, best of field, accepted a kick out from Stephen Smith and set off into the wide open spaces along the members' halfback flank. He passed to Michael Reynolds, who amazingly passed about 20 metres in reverse to Zantuck, who even more inexplicably managed to kick out on the full. (laughs) The Dees won this match by a goal. (laughs) Round 18, still a chance of making the five as long as they beat the wooden spooners. Um, The Demons found themselves a game and percentage outside the finals on Saturday night after a lacklustre performance delivered them the four points at Moorabbin. In muddy conditions, the Dees prevailed by 17 points. Melbourne entered the last month of the season as a chance of maybe breaking into the finals, uh, but standing in their way were the top four sides on the ladder. It would take a monumental effort to topple even the biggest hitters to sneak into the September action. Um, 
they had to keep winning, said Barassi. Uh, if we don't, that just means we're not good enough. And not surprisingly, they lost all four of those yep. matches. Um, their final round 22 loss to North Melbourne was the club's 1500th VFL match. Wow. Yeah. Been a lot of games of footy. A lot of they games. certainly have. So there you go. Uh, at Melbourne, lead goal kicker was Robbie Flower with 40. Brian Wilson just behind him. And Kelvin Templeton, ju- only two goals behind after playing only 13 games. So okay, definitely, not uh, yeah, not too bad at all. Uh, and the Bluey Truscott Trophy in 83 went to Alan Johnson, Robbie Flower coming uh, second in that one. Yeah, nice. So moving up the ladder to seventh spot, we have Footscray. That's a, a pretty good turnaround. They were by far the worst team last season. Weren't they? Yeah. 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 Three wins last year, I think it was. And smashed by 100 points multiple times. And then this year, they've got 10 wins, 12 losses, and 86.6%. Coached by Ian Hampshire and captained by Jim Edmund. Yes, um, debutants include Andrew Purser, Jim Sewell, Stephen Wallace, father of Mitch Wallace. Uh, and two I want to highlight now, Brian Royal and Michael McLean. Yes, so Brian Royal was originally from Bairnsdale and uh, shortly after the Bulldogs recruited him, he sustained a serious knee injury which kept him out of the game for 12 months. He finally made his senior debut in 83 um, where he had a pronounced and immediate impact. He was a live wire competitor who excelled when the going was tough, highly skilled on both sides of the body, and he excelled at getting rid of the ball quickly, usually to telling effect. And then Michael McLean, uh, fondly known in the football world as Magic, uh, his magnificent style of footy certainly justified the nickname. He was born and raised in the Northern Territory and played both rugby league and AFL at junior levels. Uh, McLean- I should, I should say he played Australian rules. Sorry, Australian football, it's it, yeah. yeah. Not AFL, because no. there is no AFL yet. No. I'll do that again, hang on. Uh, McLean was born and raised in the Northern Territory and played both rugby league and Australian uh, football at junior levels. McLean moved to Victoria and debuted for Footscray in 83, and he became known as a skillful winger. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Now, the dogs traded Calvin Templeton to Melbourne, knowing he had a bone spur growing on his heel. Those cheeky buggers. They got, got $180,000 for him from Melbourne. Um, Jeez, it's gone up again. Yeah. It was one hundred and fifty when Melbourne... Was it? Yeah. <laughs> You're right. So I wonder what the actual price was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Somewhere um, in the middle of it. The season started low with another crushing, crushing defeat to Essendon, but turned around pretty quickly with four straight wins, starting with round two. The Dogs' first win of the year was against the reigning Premier's Carlton at Western Oval. The dogs came from five goals down in the first quarter to win by 17. Beasley kicked six. The players were mobbed by fans after the game. Against the D's in round three, it was their three Western Australian recruits who starred. Andrew Purser, Ian Williams and Jim Sewell were magnificent in helping the dogs to a 32-point win. Round four, they took another big scalp, beating the Hawks at Prince's Park. They shot to an early 20-point lead and were never really headed for the rest of the day. The first time since June 1980, they won three games in a row. The Bulldogs carried their excellent form over into the round five clash with the Tigers at the MCG and opened the game with 10 goals, three to three behinds. Massive. However, the Tigers staged a comeback and fell only two points short in the end. Jim Edmund finished with seven goals and somehow the 1982 wooden spooners were in the top four. Around mid-May, they signed Bruce Duperuzel from the Saints, mm-hmm. former captain. Uh, then they had a few losses. They had three losses in a row. Round nine, what was the Dogs' 100th match against the Lions in the VFL? 
The Dogs ended the Lions' run of seven straight wins, beating them by 46 points at Waverley. They took control in the second half of the third quarter and never looked back. Beasley was seven there. Round 10, the Dogs beat the Saints at Western Oval. Royal and Wallace had big days. The match was won in the third quarter when the Dogs kicked seven goals to one. Round 12, they fought a desperate battle down at Western Oval against the Cats and with hard tackling did not allow the Cats clean disposals. After an excellent first half, the Dogs tore away to the eventual 11-point win. Royal and Duperuzel were excellent. Uh, now, before their final three games of the season, just before round 20, the Dogs were promised a $21,000 bonus by East Coast Jeans if they could win all three of those games. Round 20, they broke a seven-game losing streak. They defeated the Lions for the second time this season, led by acting captain Simon Beasley, who kicked six goals. The Dogs took control in the second half to win by 26 after conceding nine goals in the first quarter. That's one. Mm-hmm. Round 21, trailing the Saints by 39 points at three-quarter time around when the Dogs looked done and dusted, but they turned in an amazing last quarter to defeat the Saints by one goal. The winning goal was kicked by Swan District's import Ian Williams just before the final siren. They had kicked nine goals, one in the final quarter to steal victory. That's two in a row. One more. And round 22, the Dogs finished a fairly hopeful season with a 42-point win over the Swans and thus claimed their $21,000 bonus from East Coast Jeans. Yes. Magic McLean and Doug Hawkins were excellent in this match. Um, the only other thing to note here is the average crowd attendance for the Dogs was 20,088 people, their highest attendance since 1963. The highest average. Things are good. Yeah. They might not have to move to Brisbane. They're on the up and up. <laughs> things are looking good. Uh, so, um, Simon Beasley was their lead goal kicker with 69 this year. Good total. And the Charlie Sutton medal went to Brian Royal in 1983. Yeah, good little recruit, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. So that takes us up to our final non-finalist. Uh, and we have Collingwood just missing out in that position with 12 wins, 10 losses and 103%. Coached by John G- Cahill... And captained by Mark Choco Williams. Yeah. Um, some debutantes include Gary Shaw, Michael Richardson from WA, Phil Walsh, who we know was a former coach of Adelaide, Shane Moore came from Sydney, Greg Fife, and I quickly want to talk about uh, Greg Phillips. Yes, a hard-nosed, chunky, key position defender who was always prepared to give his all, most notably when the Magpies' back half was under siege. Uh, he made his teammates walk taller when he was around them and often left them smiling. Such was his engaging personality. He started his career in 76 at Port Adelaide and was a key member of their defence during a successful era for that club. Well, we probably know his daughter better than him, Erin Phillips. Oh, yeah. AFLW champion. Absolutely. Um, now, the Pies have got a new board in. President Ronald McDonald declared that the club would need to spend around $5.5 million dollars on players to earn them premiership contention. Mm-hmm. So pre-season, there was, they also didn't have a coach after the last year. They got rid of Mick Irwin. Yep. Um, and there are a group of members that approached John Kennedy and actually gained his signature to coach the club. However, this hadn't been done officially um, and President Ronald McDonald and the Pies appointed four-time Sandful premiership coach John Cahill as coach for the season. Other names they banded around included Neil Baum and Peter Hudson. There you go. And we know John Cahill as well as the first coach of Port Adelaide when they came in in 1997. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Um, the club tried to keep Peter Moore from going to Melbourne while throwing their own money at other sand, sand groper Michael Richardson. So double standards there. Yeah. So how can you hold one player to account but you're doing the same thing to other players? Um, they poached David Cloak from Richmond on $400,000 for three years. Um, and so round one, with their new recruits on display, the Pies took three quarters to gel and come together, but they eventually overran the Demons in the final term to win by 10 points, showing Peter Moore why he shouldn't have gone to... Melbourne. Yep. Then they lost four in a row. They sat round six saw their second win, which was a 22-point win over the Kangaroos. An eight-goal burst in the final term being the difference between the two ter- teams. Rene Kink, Kink kicked four, but his play was beginning to earn the ire of new coach John Cahill, who didn't like the way Kink approached the ball. Round seven, they held off a fast-finishing Bulldogs team to win by a goal, although they had surrendered a five-goal lead in the last term. In this game, Rene Kink was dragged. Round eight was a comprehensive eight-goal win over an angry Richmond side that was still furious at the poaching of Cloak and Mark and Reigns. Uh, Williams kicked six. Young Phil Walsh was excellent with 27 disposals. And I believe the Richmond banner, sorry, the, the Collingwood banner this season for this game wrote, read, out in the woods without a cloak and, in, and it rains. <laughs> Referring to those players they lost. Yep, love it. Following an embarrassing loss to Sydney at the SCG, Renee Kink was told his services were no longer needed and he was sacked. Really? Mm-hmm. Coach wants to put his own stamp on the team. Yeah. Usually you'd wait till the end of the season, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit harsh. Round 11, they won a high-scoring shootout against the Saints at Moorabbin by 16 points, 160 to 44. Dacos was six and Shane Maud with five. Round 12, the Pies were led to victory over the Demons by Billy Pickin and Greg Williams. The Pies led for most of the match and showed more determination than the Ds. Uh, the Ds had led in the third but couldn't build on it and the Pies ran away to win by 19 points. Uh, in round 14, the Pies put in a dominant performance to beat the back-to-back Premier's Carlton at Victoria Park. The Blues could only manage a point in the first quarter and six goals for the game as the Pies won by 55. Tony Shaw tagged Rod Ashman all day, which resulted in Ashman rearranging Tony Shaw's nose. <laughs> Shaw said of this, Mate, if I was a top player being tagged all the time, I guess I'd want to swat somebody. Took round, it quite well. Yeah. Round 15, the Bombers buckled under the Pies' early game pressure, which saw Craig Davis kick three goals in the opening nine minutes. The Pies played a long kicking game, which split the Bombers' defence open en route to a 17-point win. Davis finished with five, and Jeff Reigns was excellent. However, any form Reigns had become, any form that Reigns had had become inconsequential as he did his ankle in a loss to the Hawks the following week, and his season was done after eight goals with the Pies. Now, round 18, Peter Dacos was dropped to the reserves for the match against the Dogs after failing to attend a motivational meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Cahill, Cahill uh, criticised him on TV's World of Sport as well. Okay. In round 18, though, in that match, the Bulldogs seemed a class above the Pies, leading by 25 at half-time. But after a fiery third quarter, the Pies sparked up. They switched Peter McCormack to full-back, where he helped quell things, while Sandgroper Mike Richardson kicked five goals to lead the Pies to a nine-point victory. Round 19, the Pies produced a dazzling final term at the G to beat the Tigers in um, KB's 400th game. The Tigers led by seven points at the start of the fourth, but a 15-minute burst led by Wes Fellows and John Anir saw the Pies power to a 10-point victory. Phil Walsh again very good. Round 20 at Victoria Park, the Pies tore through the Swans to gain a 64-point win, a 62-point win, mm-hmm. keeping their outside chance of finals alive. Greg Phillips was excellent in this match. Um, but they lost in round 21 to Fitzroy, thus putting them out of contention. They finished their season on a high, beating bottom place St Kilda at Victoria Park by 63 points. The game effectively over at quarter time. Both Dacos and Michael Richardson kicked seven goals, while the latter also had 39 disposals. Very nice. But for all the money the Pies spent, 
We'll they still didn't quite get there, did they? <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, so the lead goal kicker for Collingwood this year was Michael Richardson with 49. Um, the captain, Chopper Williams, just behind him. And the Copeland Trophy in 83 went to Billy Picken. So those are our non-finalists this year, um, which gets us to the night series, night Timmy. Night series, I love it. What do you got for me this year? Mate, it's another, it's another absolute dinger. A it's dinger? A, yeah, it's a real dinger. Uh, so the Sterling Cup, Ooh. the AFC Sterling Cup this year. So a um, couple of things to say. Obviously, we got, we've got rid of the qualifying game, so it's normal-ish. Yep. Except one qualifying ma- match was played in Hobart between Tasmania and Footscray. Okay. So that was because Tasmania won the Escort Shield contested by the developing states in the previous, the previous year. Oh, okay, well, I did wonder who won that. Yeah, so it was Tassie, Queensland, New South Wales, ACT. Tassie took it out. And so they played against the last place team in 1982's VFL yep. to see who won. Footscray obviously have jumped up massively yeah. this year. Played far better. They won and advanced to the first game of the night, season, okay. night series. Um, and the Swan Districts are serving their first of their two-year ban, oh. so they weren't allowed Ooh. to play, I know. I'm sure they care. Which meant that West Perth took their spot, who actually were third. third. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so, let's talk about these games. We had uh, Carlton beating Fitzroy at VFL Park as our first game in uh, VFL Park at 8.35pm. Timmy, and the reason it was 8.35 and not 8.30, let me tell you this. Yeah. The match was delayed by five minutes as lawyers and officials finalised the the transfer of Bill Loken from North Adelaide to (laughs) Fitzroy. So they had to get that sorted before they could play the game. Second second game was West Perth, um, the who've taken the Swan District spot against Sydney. Sydney won that. Of course. North Melbourne beat Melbourne. Geelong beat Glenelg. Uh, Hawthorne beat Essendon Collingwood beat Claremont Richmond beat St Kilda and Norwood beat Footscray Uh, so again Norwood are only non-VFL team uh, to get through to the quarterfinals quarterfinals we had Carlton beating Sydney North beating Geelong Hawthorne beating Collingwood and Richmond beating Norwood Uh, Carlton beat North in the semis and uh, Richmond beat Hawthorne in the other semi, which meant that Carlton-Richmond was our grand final. Ooh, a replay of last year's yes. grand final. Yeah, the grandest of finals. Uh, and, <clears throat> and after one week of delays due to a, flooding pla- a flooded playing surface on the 19th of July, we had Carlton absolutely coming out of the out and smashing Richmond six, uh, 100 to 66 in front of 32,000 people on a Tuesday night at Waverley. Done it again. And they have done it again and they have finally won their first night flag. I know they would have been so worried about that. Um, after, But they did, have played in five losing gr- night grand oh, okay, finals. Oh, so that's a bit of a curse. 56, 58, 65, 77 and 81 and they're the last of the VFL clubs to win a night premiership. 
Wow, okay. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, no, I didn't, wouldn't have realised that either, but they're the final I, one. who has Yeah, we haven't really been keeping a tally. No, keeping we? a tally at all, but there, there you go. So they did it. Um, Interesting. It was a far better series than the last few. It was... Um, the last few years, we've had a lot of blowout games, mm. but this was actually really close. The only walkover was um, Footscray beating Tasmania by 108 yeah. points in that qualifying game. Um, Peter Dacos managed to kick seven goals against Claremont in the opening round. Yep. And Jim Jess from Richmond led all scorers with 12 goals from his four games. So there is the night series. No longer the Escort Cup, the Sterling Cup in 1983. Lovely. Mm. Well, that's, uh, that brings us to the end of the episode then. Yeah. 1983, there's the uh, teams 12, to, 12 through 6. 12 through 6, absolutely. And our night finals. Yes, so congratulations, Carlton. Yes. Uh, so Timmy, until, uh, until the second half of 1983, which I'm very excited for, hooroo. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.